Introduction to the Angels of Mons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Angels of Mons. The Bowmen and Other Legends of the War. By Arthur Macon, 1915. Introduction. I have been asked to write an introduction to the story of the Bowmen on its publication in book form together with three other tales of similar fashion. And I hesitate. This affair of the Bowmen has been such an odd one from first to last. So many queer complications have entered into it. There have been so many and so diverse currents and cross-currents of rumour and speculation concerning it that I honestly do not know where to begin. I propose then to solve the difficulty by apologising for beginning at all. For usually and fitly the presence of an introduction is held to imply that there is something of consequence and importance to be introduced. If, for example, a man has made an anthology of great poetry, he may well write an introduction justifying his principle of selection, pointing out here and there as the spirit moves him high beauties and supreme excellencies, discoursing of the magnates and lords and princes of literature whom he is merely serving as groom of the chamber. Introductions, that is, belong to the masterpieces and classics of the world, to the great and ancient and accepted things, and I am here introducing a short small story of my own which appeared in the evening news about ten months ago. I appreciate the absurdity, nay, the enormity of the position in all its grossness, and my excuse for these pages must be this, that though the story itself is nothing, it has yet had such odd and unforeseen consequences and adventures that the tale of them may possess some interest. And then again, there are certain psychological morals to be drawn from the whole matter of the tale and its sequel of rumours and discussions that are not, I think, devoid of consequence. And so to begin at the beginning. This was in last August, to be more precise, on the last Sunday of last August. There were terrible things to be read on that hot Sunday morning between meat and mass. It was in the weekly dispatch that I saw the awful account of the retreat from Mons. I no longer recollect the details, but I have not forgotten the impression that was then on my mind. I seemed to see a furnace of torment and death and agony and terror seven times heated, and in the midst of the burning was the British army in the midst of the flame consumed by it and yet aureoled in it scattered like ashes and yet triumphant martyred and forever glorious so i saw our men with a shining about them so i took these thoughts with me to church and i am sorry to say was making up a story in my head while the deacon was singing the gospel this was not the tale of the bowmen it was the first sketch as it were of the soldier's rest I only wish I had been able to write it as I conceived it. The tale as it stands is, I think, a far better piece of craft than the bowman. But the tale that came to me as the blue incense floated above the gospel book on the desk between the tapers, that indeed was a noble story, like all the stories that never get written. I conceived the dead men coming up through the flames and in the flames, and being welcomed in the eternal tavern with songs and flowing cups and everlasting mirth but every man is the child of his age however much he may hate it and our popular religion has long determined that jollity is wicked 
as far as i can make out modern protestantism believes that heaven is something like even song in an english cathedral the service by stainer and the dean preaching for those opposed to dogma of any kind even the mildest i suppose it is held that a course of ethical lectures will be arranged well i have long maintained that on the whole the average church considered as a house of preaching is a much more poisonous place than the average tavern still as i say one's age masters one and clouds and bewilders the intelligence and the real story of the soldier's rest with its sonus epulantium in eterno convivio was ruined at the moment of its birth and it was some time later that the actual story got written and in the meantime the plot of the bowman occurred to me now it has been murmured and hinted and suggested and whispered in all sorts of quarters that before i wrote the tale i had heard something the most decorative of these legends is also the most precise i know for a fact that the whole thing was given him in typescript by a lady-in-waiting this was not the case and all vaguer reports to the effect that i had heard some rumours or hints of rumours are equally void of any trace of truth again i apologize for entering so pompously into the minutiae of my bit of a story as if it were the lost poems of sappho but it appears that the subject interests the public and i comply with my instructions i take it then that the origins of the bowmen were composite first of all all ages and nations have cherished the thought that spiritual hosts may come to the help of earthly arms that gods and heroes and saints have descended from their high immortal places to fight for their worshippers and clients then kipling's story of the ghostly indian regiment got in my head and got mixed with the mediaevalism that is always there and so the bowman was written i was heartily disappointed with it i remember and thought it as i still think it an indifferent piece of work however i have tried to write for these thirty-five long years and if i have not become practised in letters i am at least a past master in the lodge of disappointment such as it was the bowman appeared in the evening news of september twenty ninth nineteen fourteen now the journalist does not as a rule dwell much on the prospect of fame and if he be an evening journalist his anticipations of immortality are bounded by twelve o'clock at night at the latest and it may well be that those insects which begin to live in the morning and are dead by sunset deem themselves immortal having written my story having groaned and growled over it and printed it i certainly never thought to hear another word of it my colleague the londoner praised it warmly to my face as his kindly fashion is entering very properly a technical caveat as to the language of the battle cries of the bowmen why should english archers use french terms he said i replied that the only reason was this that a monseigneur here and there struck me as picturesque and i reminded him that as a matter of cold historical fact most of the archers of agincourt were mercenaries from gwent my native country who would appeal to mihangel and to saints not known to the saxons tylo iltid dewi cadwallader vendigide and i thought that was the first and last discussion of the bowmen but in a few days from its publication the editor of the occult review wrote to me he wanted to know whether the story had any foundation in fact 
I told him that it had no foundation in fact of any kind or sort. I forget whether I added that it had no foundation in rumour. But I should think not, since to the best of my belief there were no rumours of heavenly interposition in existence at that time. Certainly I had heard of none. Soon afterwards the editor of Light wrote, asking a like question, and I made him a like reply. It seemed to me that I had stifled any Bowman mythos in the hour of its birth. A month or two later I received several requests from editors of parish magazines to reprint the story. I, or rather my editor, readily gave permission, and then, after another month or two, the conductor of one of these magazines wrote to me, saying that the February issue containing the story had been sold out while there was still a great demand for it. Would I allow them to reprint the Bowman as a pamphlet, and would I write a short preface giving the exact authorities for the story? I replied that they might reprint in pamphlet form with all my heart, but that I could not give my authority since I had none, the tale being pure invention. The priest wrote again, suggesting, to my amazement, that I must be mistaken, that the main facts of the bowmen must be true, that my share in the matter must surely have been confined to the elaboration and decoration of a veridical history. It seemed that my light fiction had been accepted by the congregation of this particular church as the solidest of facts, and it was then that it began to dawn on me that if I had failed in the art of letters, I had succeeded unwittingly in the art of deceit. This happened, I should think, some time in April, and the snowball of rumour that was then set rolling has been rolling ever since, growing bigger and bigger, till it is now swollen to a monstrous size. It was at about this period that variants of my tale began to be told as authentic histories. At first these tales betrayed their relation to their original. In several of them the vegetarian restaurant appeared, and St. George was the chief character. In one case an officer, name and address missing, said that there was a portrait of St. George in a certain London restaurant, and that a figure just like the portrait appeared to him on the battlefield, and was invoked by him with the happiest results another variant this i think never got into print told how dead prussians had been found on the battlefield with arrow wounds in their bodies this notion amused me as i had imagined a scene when i was thinking out the story in which a german general was to appear before the kaiser to explain his failure to annihilate the english all highest the general was to say it is true it is impossible to deny it the men were killed by arrows, the shafts were found in their bodies by the burying parties. I rejected the idea as over-precipitous even for a mere fantasy. I was therefore entertained when I found that what I had refused as too fantastical for fantasy was accepted in certain occult circles as hard fact. Other versions of the story appeared in which a cloud interposed between the attacking Germans and the defending British. In some examples the cloud served to conceal our men from the advancing enemy, in others it disclosed shining shapes which frightened the horses of the pursuing German cavalry. St. George, it will be noted, has disappeared. He persisted some time longer in certain Roman Catholic variants, and there are no more bowmen, no more arrows. But so far angels are not mentioned, yet they are ready to appear, and I think that I have detected the machine which brought them into the story. In The Bowman, my imagined soldiers saw, 
a long line of shapes with a shining about them and mr a p sinnett writing in the may issue of the occult review reporting what he had heard states that those who could see said they saw a row of shining beings between the two armies now i conjecture that the word shining is the link between my tale and the derivative from it in the popular view shining and benevolent supernatural beings are angels and so i believe the bowmen of my story have become the angels of mons in this shape they have been received with respect and credence everywhere or almost everywhere and here i conjecture we have the key to the large popularity of the delusion as i think it we have long ceased in england to take much interest in saints and in the recent revival of the cultus of st george the saint is little more than a patriotic figurehead and the appeal to the saints to succour us is certainly not a common english practice it is held popish by most of our countrymen but angels with certain reservations have retained their popularity and so when it was settled that the english army in its dire peril was delivered by angelic aid the way was clear for general belief and for the enthusiasms of the religion of the man in the street and so soon as the legend got the title the angels of mons it became impossible to avoid it it permeated the press it would not be neglected it appeared in the most unlikely quarters in truth and town topics the new church weekly swedenborgian and john bull the editor of the church times has exercised a wise reserve he awaits that evidence which so far is lacking but in one issue of the paper i noted that the story furnished a text for a sermon the subject of a letter and the matter for an article people send me cuttings from provincial papers containing hot controversy as to the exact nature of the appearances the office window of the daily chronicle suggests scientific explanations of the hallucination the pell-mell in a note about st james says he is of the brotherhood of the bowmen of mons this reversion to the bowmen from the angels being possibly due to the strong statements that i have made on the matter the pulpits both of the church and of nonconformity have been busy bishop weldon dean hensley henson a disbeliever bishop taylor smith the chaplain general and many other clergy have occupied themselves with the matter dr horton preached about the angels at manchester sir joseph compton rickett president of the national federation of free church councils stated that the soldiers at the front had seen visions and dreamed dreams and had given testimony of powers and principalities fighting for them or against them letters come from all the ends of the earth to the editor of the evening news with theories beliefs explanations suggestions it is all somewhat wonderful one can say that the whole affair is a psychological phenomenon of considerable interest fairly comparable with the great russian delusion of last august and september now it is possible that some persons judging by the tone of these remarks of mine may gather the impression that i am a profound disbeliever in the possibility of any intervention of the superphysical order in the affairs of the physical order they will be mistaken if they make this inference they will be mistaken if they suppose that i think miracles in judea credible but miracles in france or flanders incredible i hold no such absurdities but i confess very frankly that i credit none of the angels of mons legends partly because i see or think i see 
their derivation from my own idle fiction but chiefly because i have so far not received one jot or tittle of evidence that should dispose me to belief it is idle indeed and foolish enough for a man to say i am sure that story is a lie because the supernatural element enters into it here indeed we have the maggot writhing in the midst of corrupted offal denying the existence of the sun but if this fellow be a fool as he is equally foolish is he who says if the tale has anything of the supernatural it is true and the less evidence the better and i am afraid this tends to be the attitude of many who call themselves occultists i hope that i shall never get to that frame of mind so i say not that supernormal interventions are impossible not that they have not happened during this war i know nothing as to that point one way or the other but that there is not one atom of evidence so far to support the current stories of the angels of mons for be it remarked these stories are specific stories they rest on the second third fourth fifth hand stories told by a soldier by an officer by a catholic correspondent by a nurse or any number of anonymous people indeed names have been mentioned a lady's name has been drawn most unwarrantably as it appears to me into the discussion and i have no doubt that this lady has been subject to a good deal of pestering and annoyance she has written to the editor of the evening news denying all knowledge of the supposed miracle the psychical research society's expert confesses that no real evidence has been proffered to her society on the matter and then to my amazement she accepts as fact the proposition that some men on the battlefield have been hallucinated and proceeds to give the theory of sensory hallucination she forgets that by her own showing there is no reason to suppose that anybody has been hallucinated at all someone unknown has met a nurse unnamed who has talked to a soldier anonymous who has seen angels but that is not evidence and not even sam weller at his gayest would have dared to offer it as such in the court of common pleas so far then nothing remotely approaching proof has been offered as to any supernatural intervention during the retreat from mons proof may come if so it will be interesting and more than interesting but taking the affair as it stands at present how is it that a nation plunged in materialism of the grossest kind has accepted idle rumours and gossip of the supernatural as certain truth the answer is contained in the question it is precisely because our whole atmosphere is materialist that we are ready to credit anything save the truth separate a man from good drink and he will swallow methylated spirit with joy man is created to be inebriated to be nobly wild not mad suffer the cocoa prophets in their company to seduce him in body and spirit and he will get himself stuff that will make him ignobly wild and mad indeed it took hard practical men of affairs businessmen advanced thinkers free thinkers to believe in madame blavatsky and mahatmas and the famous message from the golden shore judge's plan is right follow him and stick and the main responsibility for this dismal state of affairs undoubtedly lies on the shoulders of the majority of the clergy of the church of england christianity as mr w l courtney has so admirably pointed out is a great mystery religion it is the mystery religion its priests are called to an awful and tremendous hierarchy 
its pontiffs are to be the pathfinders, the bridge-makers between the world of sense and the world of spirit. And, in fact, they pass their time in preaching not the eternal mysteries, but a tuppenny morality, in changing the wine of angels and the bread of heaven into ginger-beer and mixed biscuits. A sorry transubstantiation, a sad alchemy, as it seems to me. End of Introduction